I think what people don't like when you're working on a big scale ERP or a big project and you have months or years to go, giving people the option to be involved or how they be involved, I think people respect that you've taken the time to talk to them to say, hey, what is your opinion here? Welcome to Controllers Classified, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the dynamic world of controllers, accountants, and finance leaders, and hear how their ever-evolving roles are redefining accounting and the future of business. And now, here's your host, Eric Joe. Hello, and welcome to Controllers Classified. I'm your host, Eric Zoe. I'm the Chief Accounting Officer of Rex. I'm really proud to have our very first guest on the show today, Ron Cook. Now, Ron has, is the Vice President and Controller of Lightcast, and he spent the last 30 years leading teams, working through all kinds of financial and accounting uh, processes and uh, issues at his companies. Uh, he maintains a fiery passion for special projects, especially in large-scale ERP and system implementations. And Ron, I'd like to first thank you for being here. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Maybe to kick off, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lightcast and your and your role at the company? Lightcast is a global pioneer of the collection and data analysis of information on the labor market. Our data provides the world's most detailed information about occupations, skills that are in demand, and career pathways. We have job posting and career profiles from more than 50,000 websites, sources every day, and we have a database of more than a billion technical and historical job postings. Our clients include businesses, educators, government, and big Fortune 500 companies. We have more than 700 employees today in more than seven countries. Great. Thank you. And I, I know you've been working in the finance uh, side of the house for a lot of different companies over the last uh, 25 to 30 years. Can you tell me what's been the most rewarding parts of your different roles and jobs at different companies? Yeah, I think the most rewarding thing that I've experienced in my time is seeing people exceed. Uh, I think hard work and dedication trumps uh, a good resume. So I've had a lot of people working on my team who started, maybe they didn't have experience, but their hard work and dedication and my mentoring was allowed them to advance and to grow. I've had several people in the accounting manager and one person in the controller ranks that I've helped out. One of them didn't have an accounting degree. My boss, the CFO, said, oh, we shouldn't hire this person. They're now a controller of a major company. So it's, I take great pride in mentoring people and helping them to grow and expand. And as long as someone has good work ethic and is happy to work hard, I think they're going to have good success. And, and do you does that come from your own personal experience in the area growing up in the in the industry, so to speak? Um, my dad was a teacher, my mom was a nurse, and so no one in my immediate family was in business. Uh, I went to a school, Pacific Lutheran University up in the Seattle area, and I took a class my first year in uh, college from a lady who had just come back from two years in Italy, and she was on the International Accounting Center's Boards for Italy, and she had such a passion about what she was doing. I had never thought about going into accounting, I was going to go into maybe business or marketing, but she was so passionate about what she did and the help that she did and the clients that she served in Italy. She was Italian, was multilingual. And so that passion kind of rubbed off on me and that she became my mentor. And a couple of years later, I became a CPA. And here I am oh, many years later as a controller. Best job you could have ever asked for. Best job ever. That's right. Sometimes <laughs> I feel like I'm an air traffic controller saying, yes, stop, go. No, you can't do that. Some people view me as a policeman. Yeah, but it's a great job. Were there any like critical moments in your career where you said, where like it really clicked for you, what you wanted to do and 
and and the method and way in which you wanted to go about your work, just like out of cur- like out of curiosity. I uh, started my career up in the Seattle area working for a big tech company, and my boss was Japanese from Tokyo and did not speak a lot of English, and so he had a translator, and so I was kind of stuck every time I went to his office. The translator would sp- speak and do that. And I had a big team of about 30 people. I started there as an accountant and over 10 years there, I got promoted up through the ranks to controller. And so I left after being controller there for about four years. And what I learned was people look for leadership and people like to be led and people also like to be listened to. I've always heard a long time ago, someone told me that you're born with two ears and one mouth means you should listen twice as much as you should talk. So I always listen to people, try to get to what they're seeing, read their body language, understand what they're doing, and just be compassionate. And I think that that goes a long way in leadership. Leadership is an art. It's not a science. It's something that's learned over time. But I think listening to people being compassionate goes a long way. Over your career, what are some of the biggest trends or changes that you've seen in the field that have really changed the way people in our industry work? Yeah. Well, when I started, I'm saying my age here, but when I started, there were no cell phones and there was not Excel. And so it's hard for people today. Like if you didn't have a phone, you didn't have Excel, how would you do accounting? Right. Um, so technology has certainly changed a lot. Zoom has been a valuable resource. I personally have been working from home for about four years and without Zoom, it would not be possible. But now with Zoom, I'm able to talk to people around the world. I have staff and we have team members on Lightcast in all the different countries. I'm able to talk to them. And so technology, cell phone, Excel, ERP integration, all of that has come light years since when I first started. And it's allowed people, when I first started, we had people that were just data punch errors, they, uh, data punch people. All they did was key in if it's accounts, payable, payroll, timesheets. They were just sitting there keying nonstop. Now we don't have so many of those. And so the accounting profession, I think, has really advanced in that people are doing data analysis not data entry. We don't need that. A computer can see how many hours or how many sales or how many widgets you sold. But the people in accounting now are analyzing what's being happening and adding back to, we want to be a benefit to the company. Let's go back to something you mentioned about using Zoom and how it's really impacted your work, right? And it's obviously impacted all the businesses and industries, uh, certainly in the US. Uh, People are working remote, people are doing work from home. I still read articles in the Wall Street Journal and many other publications that debate is work from home okay? Should everyone be in office? Downtowns across big cities in America are crumbling because people aren't coming to the office. People complain that they're not getting enough collaboration done with just Zoom, et cetera. And you know, I'd like to bring it to accounting because I, I do think there are some departments and companies where being remote, even the whole team being remote, it probably works and even makes them more effective because they're all individual contributors, right? And then there are other kinds of functions that are more collaborative, that require a lot of groupthink, et cetera, or not groupthink, but a lot of people working in a conference room on a whiteboard. You know, where do you think accounting falls there? And what is the the right balance for, for your team? I think accounting has had to adapt. Um, at my prior employer, we were a big technology company. And in February, notice the date. In February of 2020, we signed a 15-year lease for a couple of floors in a downtown high rise in Los Angeles. And in February, 2020, we moved in with these high hopes. Yay, we're in a perfect space. We've been working on it for three years. You know what happened in March of 2020, the whole world shut down. So we were in the middle of a big ERP implementation to Oracle and we got sent home and everyone literally freaked out. They're like, 
we have six months left to go. We, we, we previously every day spent two or three hours together in a conference room on a big whiteboard mapping out what we're going to do. And now we had people, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I had three or four people on my team who had never used a laptop. They only had a desktop. So when we gave a laptop to go home, they didn't know how to use the mouse. They didn't know how to set it up. They didn't know what Zoom was. So was it easy? No. Did people have to adapt? Yes. Did I spend a lot of hours and, you know, people crying on the phone saying, I don't like a computer. I don't know how to get this to work. But I think that the people are resilient. And because we didn't have a choice, because especially California was locked down, you couldn't basically go out of your house for a long time. We had no choice but to make the decision to figure out how to make it work. And we did it. And the implementation was successful. We were a month behind our normal schedule, but that's understandable knowing that the whole world was on lockdown. So I think when people get used to it, if they're mentored and monitored, I think it's a great resource. I've been four years coming up in a couple of months, it'll be four years that I've been working remotely from home. It has great flexibility. I'm able to hire people remotely. Like my last job, we hired a good treasury executive in New York City, even though our offices was in LA. That would not have been possible if I was saying the person has to be in the office. So I think that working from home enables you to find the right talent and makes you much, much more marketable as a company. Now that you guys are fully remote and you guys have, I believe it's a global workforce. You have people that are outside of the U.S. working for Lightcast as well, right? Yeah. Lightcast, uh, I wouldn't say uh, my prior job were fully remote because of the pandemic. Now at Lightcast, I still have a core. Um, there's a core group of people in our corporate office in Idaho. But a lot of the people, myself, my boss, CEO, several people I've hired are all remote. And so the sort of the mandate or the rule is you hire the best person possible. If you find someone Idaho, that's great. If you find someone remote, that's great too. Um, we have offices in seven foreign countries and we have people working there. We have some offices specifically in London and UK. Some of the other smaller places, people are working remotely from home. But I think that it works. And for a, a small company or startup company who's looking to branch out, one of our big initiatives is to work in a global workforce and to increase our size and scale and presence outside the U.S. Working remotely and not having to start with the, the financial burden of an on-site brick-and-mortar office is really helpful. I agree with that. I agree with kind of what you're saying related to finding the best talent anywhere now, whereas previously you would have probably been very pretty narrow in your search. You have to find people around Idaho, Idaho, right? Right. And for better or for worse, now you the pool for all the workers that could be a, in your department or other departments at Lightcast is around the whole country. And because you have a bigger, bigger pool, you have a big, bigger, uh, better talent. Hopefully, right at the company. So that's great. If you're looking for a treasury person, the majority of the of big treasury people are probably in New York and Manhattan. If I was going even as big as LA is, if I said I have to find a treasury person who specializes in securities in LA much harder than opening the market to New York. So it's a big plus. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. On the point about global, you know, you have employees everywhere in the U.S. You also have employees in other countries and jurisdictions outside the U.S. H how has that impacted operations at Lightcast specifically? And what are some of the things you have to do maybe to manage spend across all these different subsidiaries and jurisdictions? Yeah, you have to spend time. I think uh, Brex has certainly helped, but I think you have to spend time understanding what the rules are and what the expectations are in different countries. 
in Europe and Western Europe, for example, a lot of people travel by train much more than airplane and train wasn't even on our radar. And so the first time we got Brex cars and they went to some people in Italy, they said, well, where's the category for a train? And so someone, because in the US, I mean, Amtrak, I think is still around, but a lot, a lot of people take train as a mode of uh, operation. And so someone said, well, where's the train operation? Someone on my team actually laughs. And I said, this is not a joke. In Europe, they primarily do that. So I think that it's important to meet people where they are, talk to them, understand that. So when we were rolling out Brex, for example, in Europe, I had several meetings with them to understand what they needed, what was important to them. They get reimbursed for mileage. Some of the rules in some of the foreign countries require if you're driving more than five miles, you get a reimbursement. They take train. And so we had to adapt to those. The other thing I think is that people, I'm not speaking for anyone other than myself, but I think that in the past, people have assumed that the way that U.S. is doing things is always the best, and it's not necessarily always the best. And so Lightcast, I think, is good at expanding our global footprint, figuring out what is the best way to get something done. It doesn't matter if it came from someone in Italy or Germany or Canada or India, whatever is the best way to get it done is what we would look at. And so we're open to that. So seeing that we're really one family working on that and finding the best idea, regardless of where it came from, we're always open to innovation and looking for the next best thing. It's great. I, so much has changed, even just since the pandemic, right? Like you've been talking yep. about. What do you think are some of the biggest changes that are going to come in the next three to five years from now? As the workforce is getting older and the labor market is getting tighter, things are changing with AI, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. I think that people have to really understand is what is your core? The, the hardest question that I have to answer now when I interview someone is what is the culture of Lightcast? And you could take out the word Lightcast and say whatever. What is a, a culture of Facebook or Google or Amazon or Costco or whatever? Because when we were all back in the office, it was pretty easy to say, oh, the dress code is X, lunch hour is Y, I have an open door policy, we offer free snacks, whatever. When you're all working at home, it's hard to say I have an open door policy. Do you say I have an open screen policy? When I first started, one of the big hurdles was when I was on Zoom and I was working from home, People didn't know whether to see if I was in a meeting or not. And so I was constantly, I'm in the middle of a meeting. I'm presenting to some, you know, board or talking to my boss or having a group meeting. And people are always trying to DM me and, and turn on their camera right then. I said, I'm, I'm in a meeting just because I'm working from home doesn't mean I'm available 24-7. So I think technology is great, but you have to learn kind of when to set boundaries. Now we all have integrated calendars. So if someone wants to speak to me, if they can look at my calendar and know when I'm busy, when I'm available and book a meeting. And I have probably five or six meetings put on my calendar every day by people. Sometimes it's banks or audit firms or that kind of thing. Sometimes it's people that work on my team. So I think that it's good. It's a learning curve. And, you know, you can't look at see if Ron's in his office or that, but you can look electronically and see a calendar and schedule that out. Also converse time difference. So if I'm looking to talk to someone in, in India or Italy, tells me at X time in mine in Los Angeles, what time is it there? So I'm not picking something that's two o'clock in the morning for a foreign operation. So you're saying like, you know, and, and even now, right, coming out of pandemic, people are working hybrid, remote, et cetera. We're still finding our way on how to manage these schedules, boundaries. How do, how do we build better behaviors, frankly, right. in respecting other people's work and time and like setting aside time also for collaboration while we're remote? Right. I think so. And I think that companies, I think it's going to be, you know, a lot of the big tech companies have decided we want, they went from, you don't have to work at home at all. 
to now you have to work at home, to now you have to go back in the office, to they kind of get in and now you only have two days in the office. I think each company is different. Certainly, you know, I think back to when I had a big ERP implementation, would it have been easier if we were all in the same conference and working on it? hundred percent, yes. But in the pandemic, especially in California, when everything was closed down, that wasn't an option. So you had to adapt and learn to that. Now that people have had, especially the younger generation, you know, in my career, even five years ago, it would have been unthinkable that I was not physically driving to an office. I always had an office. I always had to be there Monday through Friday. Even if I had a dentist appointment, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be gone for two hours. How do I block out two hours out of my life? Because I won't be in the office. And I think work from home, I've interviewed multiple people and I'm, I'm it still shocks me, but I've gotten over it. Two people and I kept the resumes The the top line in bold says only considering remote offers. Like, don't even talk to me unless you're willing to say, and these were young people like a year or two. They're not like they're, they've had years of experience. They're a year or two out of college, but they've just decided with their quality of life or whatever, don't talk to me. Like, it blinks to me in red. Don't talk to me unless you want me to be remote. And so I think that I'm not saying that we need to accept all of that, but I'm saying that a company that is not flexible in hiring the best person wherever they are, I think is going to miss out. And maybe for that company, right? Like you, you just pick and choose that they're self-selecting in or out for different right. hiring pools. If you immediately say that you're only considering remote, then as a employer, you know, that's just an easy kind of like resume to put in the out pile, like not not, right. not to be considered pile, right? So makes sense. Let, let, let's let's go back to AI actually, because because we 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 did want to talk about some of this stuff and how it may impact our work over the next three to five years. Where do you think you'll see the most impact from the implementation of AI in finance processes or accounting processes? I think AI is great. I've used chat GBT uh, in business and in my personal life, um, helping out some friends. I think, you know, in the accounting profession, the rules that generally accepted accounting rules, technical pronouncements change all the time. Every month, every quarter, new rules come out. No matter how long you've been working, no matter how experienced you are, even people at Deloitte and EY and the big guys have a hard time keeping up with all the rules. So if a new pronouncement comes into effect or you're working on an acquisition or you have something and you know that there's going to be accounting rules and you're not sure how to do that, very easy to go to chat GBT and type up, you know, tell me what the latest rules for leases are. Instantly you hit enter, it comes back with all of those. I think um, probably my experience has been about 90% of the data that comes back is accurate and it gives you a great head start or a leg up on doing that. I think where I've found people to fall down is they assume that because it came from a computer or because it came from AI, it's infallible. Especially there are some state differences. California specifically has a lot of different rules in other states. And if you click that and you go on Google search and it's a national summary, it may not apply to what you're doing in California or your state. So I think that it is here to stay. I think that people that are not on that train are going to lose out because I think it's it's already left the station, as it were. It's already going. And I think people that need to adopt it are going to be the most successful. I think, though, that AI without personal involvement, I mean, I know that's like TAF policy. We want to have AI-centered kind of in a combination with a real person. And myself, if someone were to ask me, like, the board came to me or my boss came to me and said, hey, I need, you know, the top five topics of some pronouncement or we're looking to buy a company and they're going to specialize in leases. I don't need to know the details. I would never simply go to AI, ask for the details, don't look at it, cut and paste and set it out because probably of 10 bullet points, one or two of them probably are not accurate. 
So it's a combination. Does it do 80 or 90% of the work for you and help you be efficient? Yes. But does it require you to sit down and look and make sure that they're all 100% accurate? I also say yes. So I think it's in combination with a person with a brain that can look at it and say, this makes sense or not. It's going to be a great resource and it will make people more efficient. That's my, that's my thought. So what you're telling me is that we're still going to have jobs. I'm planning on having a job. I think, <laughs> I think that, that as of, as of today, I'm not talking about, you know, Star Trek or the Jeffersons of the future, but I think that technology is not going to replace people and their thinking. The other thing someone asked me the other day is, well, what do you think AI can't do? I haven't met an AI computer or Mr. Chat, GBT, whatever, who can manage a team. And so I think managing a team, managing through employee problems, personal problems, taking days off, promotions, people who are happy and happy, hiring, firing, all the things you have to do as a, as a management person as you grow, AI can't really assist in that. Now, having said that, at a prior company, I had someone who was an accountant and worked there for three years and they were going to be promoted. We were considering promoting up to a manager. So I went to ChatGPT and I said, give me the top 10 things that a new manager needs to focus on. Hit enter, it comes back. And I cut those and pasted in a document and I use that as a starting point for a conversation for this person to say, here are things you have to focus on because you've never managed before and you've just been an employee. Now you have people reporting to you. Here are things you'll have to focus on. So I think it is a good guide. But to answer your question, no, I don't think it's going, you're not going to have a room with 10 computer screens and not 10 people. I think you need to have 10 people working with the computer. And, and you know what? On your example about a new accounting pronouncement, having an AI read through it, summarize it for you, maybe give you some addition, like the first level of analysis, that's really useful. And it gives you a lot of efficiency, right, from using that tool. There's already examples of people, though, going overboard, right? I saw an article. I forgot exactly where in the country it was. But a lawyer decided to use ChatGPT to write up the case law. They, they come up with a case law that already exists, that supports their argument. Put in the parameters, ChatGPT wrote up a beautiful memo explaining XV, you know, state of Alabama or this versus that, et cetera. And they were all false. They were made up cases. This guy had a 30 year career as a lawyer and got disbarred because of that. So to your point, right? Like we do pretty serious work sometimes. Like this stuff gets reported in public filings. Like if you work in a public company, uh, we have a lot of stakeholders that rely on our financial reporting and, and, and how we present numbers, et cetera. You know, purely relying on uh, a computer without applying human judgment today, at least with how AI is set up today, I, do, I, I agree with you. Like you got to have, like even when they automated the assembly line, right? And cars began to be put together by robots in the assembly line. You know, you still have the foreman, you still have people monitoring the machines, machines also break down. So you have to, you know, retrain them and like um, uh, update them, et cetera. So hundred percent agree with you on that. Right. And I think the other thing is you have to learn how, I mean, chat GBT is great, but you have to spend some time and learn about what exactly in what order you put things in. If you were just to, for example, say, I need the accounting pronouncement for leases. ChatGBT is worldwide. It could give you the rules for Europe, and I'm in the U.S. And so the rules in Europe, IFRS, are different. So you have to be very specific. I want the U.S. gap rules for lease, or I need this that applies to the country, or I need something that is applicable to California. So you have to be specific enough. But I, I mean, I, 
I'm shocked that the guy was disbarred. But like I said, I would never, I always use it as a starting point. I would never look at it blindly and assume it's 100% accurate. Like every, some people think, oh, if it's on social media, it's accurate. Obviously, that's not true. You look at it, determine what applies, what is accurate, what is not, and then uh, you know adjust it as you need before you send it in or use it. Let, let's move on to uh, a passion of yours, ERP implementations, large-scale ERP implementations, I think. Can you, can you share with me like lessons learned from one of the most successful implementations that you've had, and perhaps also example of the most challenging one? Yeah, I think the most successful one was at a prior job, a big technology company that I alluded to before. We were a year and a half into a two-year implementation of Oracle, and we're a large public company. We're an accelerated filer, so we had to file Qs and Ks 45 days after the end of the quarter. Right in the middle of it, the pandemic happened. We were all sent home. So I was one of the main stakeholders, but I wasn't the overall uh, leader. The overall leader was frequently traveling and it was gone and we would have weekly update calls and that person was not always on the call. And you could see the morale, the combination of we're on, we're working at home, we can't be in the office, we don't have a whiteboard, full disclosure, we don't have bagels anymore. Yes, we used to bring in bagels to the office, now they're at home and they don't have, you know, a free kitchen. And then the ultimate sponsor traveling and being gone a lot people really look for a leader. And so I always tried to read the room. And even though I wasn't ultimately in charge, I was viewed as a manager. And so I always tried to, you know, I ordered some Uber gift cards and I sent them gift cards for lunch. And I said, you may not have free bagels, but let's let's do something. Friday, let's spend an hour and not talk about the ERP system. Let's just get together and talk about what you get for the weekend. And in California, <laughs> like sometimes the highlight of my week was I got to go to Costco or I got to go to a supermarket because it was the only thing that was open. And it was kind of a dark time. But I think that whether it be in person or that's not allowed on the Zoom, you need to have compassion, talk to people, find ways to do that. We can't be together. We can't do that. We can screen share. We can do that. I spent a lot of hours at night working on documents and sending it out late at night. So when they came in the morning, they would have that. I said, here's a screen share, sent way too much time focusing on what people had done and and purposely doing after hours emails so that when someone woke up, the first thing in the morning they would see is, hey, I got an email from Ron. Ron appreciates me. Or I would call out, hey, you did this project or worked on this line item and we're ahead of schedule. Thanks so much. You know, here's an Amazon gift card or Friday we're getting together. So I think that people in any company, Lightcast is no exception, people is your best resource and you need to learn to take care of people and the world adapts was no one's fault that COVID happened, but everyone had to adapt to that. And so I think that companies and managers that understand that and, and figure out a way to work, we were all in the pandemic. Some companies survived, some companies closed, some companies are, are still hanging on. But I think that managers that exceeded understand that change is part of, of the universe and of the world. Change always happens. Hopefully we're not gonna have another pandemic soon, but things that don't happen, you know, you can't bury your head in the sand. You just need to say, I'm going to adapt and figure out how to go forward. You talk about people being the biggest resource. I agree with you, right? It's a knowledge industry that we're in. We need those people to have the knowledge, to right, have the right skills to do the work. When it comes down to an implementation, some of the challenges that I found is, well, it's the same team that has, we call it BAU here, business as usual. They still have to do the daily entries, the day-to-day processing, the month-end close. Oh, and by the way, that same workload, let's just add on a whole implementation on top. So how, like like in that scenario where you were implementing such a large system and then the pandemic happened, 
Like, what was your strategy on the people side there? We had a, a budget for a consulting firm and the managers could decide if they were going to have the consulting firm assist with the implementation or if they were going to do what in your case, BAU business as usual. So I've made, I, for example, if we have someone processing accounts payable or accounts receivable, we could decide would the consultants be doing the AP and the AR so our employee could focus on the ERP or would the consultants focus? And we, we had about half 50-50 and we weren't dictatorial. We didn't say you have to do this or you have to do that. We said the manager, you can decide. And I think that the managers really liked having the option to do that. And some of the managers, and I was I was one of them, I went to my team and I said, okay, I'm making this up. I have two consultants. We have one AP, one AR. And I went to the AP and AR team. Some of them had never been on ERP. Full disclosure, two of them got so freaked out. They said, I don't know what ERP is. I want to stay and do my day job. But one of them was like, I would like, I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, throw my hand in the air. And so I went to my team and said, we have one consultant. One person on my AP team was excited about getting involved in the ERP. So we took the consultant, had them work with my existing AP team to process. So the one person on my team who raised their hand and said, I'll take a risk was on the ERP implementation. She did a great job. So I think that people like being what people don't like is if you tell them this is what you have to do now i'm not saying there are not cases like if we're coming up to an audit or you're working on processing payroll there's a payroll deadline if you don't get the time cards done by wednesday at noon you won't be paid that there's not an option but when you're working on a big scale erp or a big project and you have months or years to go giving people the option to be involved or how they be involved i think people respect that you've taken the time to talk to them to say hey what is your opinion here? I, I'm asking you to be involved. What level of involvement do you want? I really like that strategy. I'm going to take that away. I, this idea that for the consulting firm to come in, because I already know, like, you know, it's not just at this company that I'm at right now, but also my past experiences. And I was an auditor for a long time um, at Price Coopers. But I've met a lot of different accountants across a lot of different companies. And you can kind of tell for some people, if they just want to do the AP processing or the AR processing or whatever their BAU is day to day. And then also some people who are have a sense of curiosity. They want to explore more. They want to dive deeper. into. In fact, they may be better or likely are better than the consultant in thinking about how best to implement this new system with the existing process. So, so yeah, I guess, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to be. It shouldn't be all, all or one, all or nothing. It shouldn't be all or one. I mean, I think... I 100% agree with you. The two things I would say is that if you force someone who really doesn't want to do it, it's not going to end well. So if one of those people on my AP team has said, I don't want to do it, I don't know what ERP is, if like, you know, drug them, dragging, kicking and screaming and says you're going to do this, it wouldn't have ended well. I also don't think that if you take consultants and put them in the role and they have no history about what your company does, you're not going to get as good an effect as you are with a mix. I think we were successful because we had consultants and people from our company who were working together in the room and then virtually on Zoom to get it done. And we need the people with experience. The consultants had done many, many ERP implementations and the people in our business knew our business, knew our customers, knew the processes, knew our software. And it was both sides working together that enabled us to be successful. All right, it's time for the last segment of the podcast where we talk about how controllers are fun too. And, you know, Ron, just, just curious, what, do you, what is the funniest accounting debacle that you've ever seen? About five years into my career, after I graduated, I was accounting manager um, 
long time ago, we were implementing an ERP system. Back then, the standard was you would do a parallel testing, meaning you had your current existing system, your new, your new system for probably two month end closes. The people in data entry or accounting were being in invoices of both systems to make sure that there were no differences. So I had one lady on my EP team and we had had multiple, you know, like, a okay, this is starting in a month, it's starting in two weeks, starting a week, beginning July 1st, you're going to have to, for two months, key everything, you know, and this was back in the day when everything came in by paper. So every day the mail come, would come and we delivered, she'd sit and open her invoices. And she was processing that and that, and my office was a long ways away from where her cubicle was. And so I didn't see her. And so after we've been doing this about three weeks, I was walking around, I was in the county area and I was talking and we we're getting ready to go to lunch. And I looked down and I noticed that in her desk drawer, there were all of these papers sticking out of her desk drawer. And I just, I thought that was on. And I, so just out of a habit, I looked down, I said, gee, what's in this drawer? And I opened it and it was completely crammed full of invoices. Like, I mean, we're not talking one or two, like, I mean, literally it was probably hundreds. And I looked at her and I said, what are these? And she got B read and she said, well, you know, you, you told us we had to do parallel, but that's twice the work and I didn't have time to do it. And so I said, so what was, what was your strategy? And she said, well, I thought the best thing to do is I would just process every other one. And so I said, what? And she said, I wish I would get the mail and I would put them in alphabetical order and I would take the first invoice and I would process it. And I didn't have time for the second. So I just put it in the desk drawer. So for three weeks, she was literally processing 50% of the accounts payable invoices and 50% at the dress drawer. So I said, this isn't, this is not acceptable. So I said, we need to go in the conference room and we need to go through these because I need to figure out how bad is this? How much money are we behind? And so there were so many, she had, for some reason, I think she was a shoe person. She had two shoe boxes under her desk. And so she literally crammed and stuffed all these invoices, took shoe, two shoe boxes made it into her, into the conference room. And we set them out. There were over 150 invoices that had not been paid that we had to figure out how to process to pay and do that. So as a result, I often thought that I should start a, a startup company on the side called Shoebox Accounting, because I just thought I've had, I've had friends that do taxes, for example, and they said their worst nightmares on April 14th, the day before the deadline, someone will come in with a shoebox of receipts and put it on the desk and say, do my taxes. This was a similar situation. So it was a mess. Um, we got through it. Uh, she didn't last long at the company for a number of reasons, but I just, I couldn't believe that she didn't come to me or the supervisor or in. She said, well, I was trying to solve the problem on my own. And I said, you think that not processing half of the invoices is a good solution? So that's definitely a fail. And that's something that did not go well. I, you know, do, you, do you think about that time and how you've come up with this strategy for the consultants? And maybe that's something that led you to draft, like, maybe we should use consultants and like do both. The <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so. I think you need to get people space. involved. I think that a lot of things, you know, today, for example, I'm like company, a lot of it, we have aliases. So we're not getting a lot of paper mail. Almost everything is email and it doesn't go to Barb or Joe or Sue. It goes to AP at your company, AP at our Lightcast, for example, our and so we can monitor it electronically. There's also ways that we use a software system that works with our Google Mail and it sorts that and allows that to see. And so the manager can see what invoices have been processed and what happened. So there's an example that technology has really helped. But I think it's important when you're doing an ERP, especially the first question I always ask when we're going to ERP is I is look around the room and I say, honest answer, who has never been through an ERP implementation? 
And my experience has been probably half the team, it, it's totally new to them. They don't know what to expect. They're used to coming in, sitting down at an established workstation at a computer and a software. They're trained on that software, but and then they've been doing it for years, and that's what they know. Moving from software A to software B is the big deal. You have to learn all the new keystrokes and menus and options of what you can and cannot do in the functionality. And if you've never been through it, it is really, you know, change is hard for a lot of people. And so I always start by saying, who hasn't been through a system? Find out who that is, and then maybe have a separate session with them just to tell them what they can expect. My door or my Zoom screen at the team notes is always open. So if they have a question, they, you know, call or text me or Slack me and we go through that. But I, I keep in close touch because I do not want to repeat having someone feel like the only option is to process 50% of their work because otherwise they'll get behind. That's not, that's not a way to win. Well, Ron, I really appreciate your story about shoe, uh, shoe boxes, shoe boxes, plural, full of shoe invoices. boxes. It took two. Yeah. yeah. More than one. To wrap up, you know, one thing that I'd be curious on from you is what, what's some of your advice for up and coming controllers or people looking to become accounting and finance executives in, in the world today? I think integrity is something that will follow you the rest of your life. I think that not only in the accounting profession, but in life in general, integrity and being honest and being open up front will, will open a lot of doors, will make you successful. Nothing, nothing to stop you in the accounting world. You have to be a CPA. You certainly have to have a level of technical experience, but dealing with people and dealing with them integrity. Also get back to what I said that someone a long time ago told me we have two ears and one mouth. You should listen more than you should talk. A lot of people get in a room, especially if they're managerial, they think their job is just to talk and they talk and talk and talk. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this right. You're do this. You're late or whatever. I oftentimes start discussions by saying, tell me how you think this experience went and then just pause and let them tell me. And I'll oftentimes, I find like, especially in reviews, if I'm getting a review of an employee and I think it's going to be a difficult review, I start by asking them, how do you think the last six months went? And if they're honest, probably 80% of the time, they will come back with what exactly I was going to say, but it's a lot easier because they've said it first. So two-way communication is important. In integrity is very important and just listening to people. So a lot of people, when they ask me this, are shocked that I'm not talking about, oh, you have to learn debits equals credits or learn, how, learn you know, to do a pivot table or, or write a formula in Excel. Obviously, those are standard and people that are CPAs do all that stuff and that's obvious. But I think it's the people side that is missing in some people that don't advance. So people have been doing accounting a long time and maybe have never gotten above the accounting manager rule. Why is that? People and people management, which is an art as much as a science, uh, something you need to learn. And that's very important as you advance in your career. 100%. You know, there's all these technologies that we talked about today with those Zoom and other softwares that are supporting us working remotely. There's AI that's coming up. It's going to have a huge impact on our industry. The art of communication, the art of working with people, the art of collaboration, uh, they're timeless. You know, those aren't going away. So 100% agree with you. Thank you, Ron, for joining us today on our very first episode of Controllers Classified. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us. And for the audience, thank you for listening in and hope to see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for tuning in to Controllers Classified, presented by Brex. Brex is a unified AI-powered spend platform with global corporate cards, expense management, reimbursements, and travel. 
Visit Brex.com and follow Brex on social to see how they can take your accounting game and your company to new heights.